Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and myself continue our discussion on the Lord's Supper with a very special guest. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I have with me today... Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brian Rickey, and... and <laughs> Pastor Brady Finnern. <laughs> All right. All right. Yes. Back uh, yeah. again after a week. Thanks That's for right. showing up. Yeah, That's right. how this works. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Whole five minutes. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> the wonders of radio. Yes, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, he promised me Subway again, so I came back. Yeah, yeah that's right. Subway. Yeah. Boy, if that's all it takes, man, <laughs> you aim higher. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I really want to make a joke about Missouri Senate and beer really bad, but I probably should. You already do made that. it. You that's already right. made it. Oh, we man. all know. It was funny. Yeah. 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 It was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, good. Uh, well, this is kind of a part two of a ongoing conversation. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and listen and uh, pick up where we're going to pick up uh, today. And uh, yeah, so we're, we've talked a little bit of how we, we teach communion, the Lord's Supper in our congregations. And um, we'll go from there into how that works out and how that plays out in congregational life. Yeah, you, you had mentioned some great things about how you were taught communion, and especially in seminary, and you know, great uh, focus on the actual body and blood of Christ in communion, the body and blood that was on the cross. That was nice to think about. And, you know, a, a really interesting discussion on disposal of the elements and, and things like that. I, I think we want to transition at the start of this episode to how do you as a pastor now in a congregation mm-hmm. talk about communion? How do you teach it? I know, um, you know, just kind of lead you into it a little bit uh, as one who's taking his doctorate from St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot more of a preaching emphasis on the sacraments, and I would say especially communion mm. in the Missouri Synod than there probably is in the AFLC, and I'd like you to kind of touch on that too. Well, I would probably start with, if you look at our, our liturgical heritage and you look at how we how we do things, is that the highlight of the service is obviously word and sacrament, so sermon, and then soon right after is a long liturgy that prepares you to receive the body and blood of Christ. And so there's an understanding that this is a major highlight within the worship service um, for reasons that we said, forgiveness, um, mm-hmm. forgiveness of sins, life and salvation are there. It's the catechism type of talk. And so a lot of times um, we will make that a point in our sermons. Uh, when I was in St. Louis, there was uh, Dale Meyer and others would say, you know, if you're going to do it, make sure it makes sense. Because there are times in the Missouri Synod that we do it and it's kind of like, I just had a horrible sermon. By the way, you're gonna have communion, and it's awesome. You know, amen. And, and so he would always criticize us. And you know, if you're gonna talk Preach about law in the sermon and then gospel, yeah, it's just okay. Right? It's communion. Yeah. You're it. Yeah, yeah you're, you know all that. So, but to make those special emphases that when it's there, make it obvious. You know, if you're talking about the Passover, you do an Exodus. Um, um, make that connection right away. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about Revelation, the, the marriage feast. Make that connection. You know, those kind of things. Like you guys have been doing, mm-hmm. um, recently is to make that connection because mm-hmm. especially if. It's for most of our LCMS churches, it's twice a month. Um, um, a lot more having it every week, like we talked about a little bit here. And that's something where you can ma- easily make that connection to show that. But um, and one of the big things we do is we try to prepare people for that and say, hey, this is a major part of what we do. So we always want, if we have a new member class, to make that a major part of 
what we teach is this is what communion is. This is the seriousness of it. This is what we do. Um, emphasizing that when we have confirmation that, that a lot of times it's when you confirm your faith is when you receive the Lord's Supper, showing the importance of um, being able to examine yourself, as First Corinthians talks about, and to make those connections as much as humanly possible. Now, one difference it would be from us in Roman Catholicism, because I go to a lot of Catholic uh, talks at St. John's University, is that for them, it's everything in the service. Like, their sermon, who cares? It's absolutely <laughs> everything. You know? I can vote for that. Yeah. 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 It's just kind of a homily. It's a homily. Yeah. Right. And so that would make a big distinction. We're not going in that direction. Yeah. But if we're going to preach, we're going to make those connections, obviously baptismal life as well. So it's, you know, sometimes people will accuse us of saying, well, you're basically just like Catholic. You think that's the, the only thing. And and we're definitely not wanting to go that far. Once again, mm-hmm. it's the efficaciousness of God's word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know that we're going to get to close communion, but before we do that, I would like to ask you, how do you enforce um, disciplinary aspects of communion, withholding communion from a church member? I'd yeah. love to hear a little bit of that, because yeah. I know that I think all of us probably struggle with that. I know I have, and I've had to do it. And I know that it's the right thing to do, but I just would love to hear a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one that one's always real messy, isn't it? I mean, when yeah. you have to there's deal with a, that. There's not an easy way to do it. Yeah. No, there's not. No, there's not. You know, it talks about, you know, if you're not reconciled with your brother, go and reconcile before you take communion. So we mm-hmm. do talk about those kind of things. I haven't had a lot of experience where you've had to, you know, stop somebody, but it is very much so part of our polity and the way we operate to say that there are times when people are being blatant that we would call it the minor ban, that you're not excommunicated, but yet you are asked not to take communion for Mm -hmm. various reasons. Um, One of my uh, brother pastors had a situation where a gal was just telling blatant lies Mm -hmm. about somebody. And these cases more or less have to be one of those Matthew 18, you've met with Mm -hmm. that person in nowhere. You don't don't Um, do it on the spot. And you you need to have conclusive evidence Mm -hmm. that this person has done this. You can't just go off of hearsay or even circumstantial evidence. Absolutely. So it's a very long and lengthy process. One particular situation that not for me particularly, but but what I know of of a, a brother pastor was where a gentleman um, said he had cancer, they had a benefit for him, found out later he never did. Mm. And so oh that goodness. was one of those cases wow. where they said, you cannot take communion until we have this reconciled and you give money back, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, another situation um, was where a, girl, a young lady had become Mormon and she came back to her home church mm. and said, I want to take communion. He said no. Um, because the differences, very mm-hmm. clear differences. Yeah. I mean, that's where close mm-hmm. communions, even across the board, yeah. we yeah, would right. all agree, don't Absolutely. do that. Sure. And the congregation said, basically, the rumor got around, small church, and they said, well, we're not going to take communion either then. No one took communion. Oh, wow. And oh, so wow. he huh. said to them, we will not have communion in this place until we have reconciled this, yeah. which I, I thought that was a pretty, that was a good way to handle it. So that, those yeah, are the that, situations that I would say, but that has to be obvious and you got to go through Matthew 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's a long yep. process. Well, and, and I think pastorally that what he did there was really important because this isn't a political move. This isn't a, a power grab when mm-hmm. excommunication is in play. Uh, my congregation just closed out our adult Sunday school by looking at... Uh, the article in the Small Called Articles on excommunication and the emphasis of excommunication is always on reconciliation. Mm -hmm. You always Mm want to practice it in a way that the one who is being banned, as you said, Brady, or the one who's being removed from fellowship is enticed to repent and be included as a part of the group. It's not just, uh, you know, it's, it's not, if you're familiar with church history, it's not 
you know, all the popes excommunicating yeah. each other just for the fun of it. And it certainly can't be this judgmental finger-wagging session at all. It, you know, it really needs to be part of that Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2. Uh, a brother or sister is caught in sin. You who are more spiritual, restore them uh, in a spirit of gentleness. You know, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. So I appreciate yeah. how he handled that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes for a good segue to the, you know, the 500-pound Luther in the room that we all have to address. Uh, but, but I'll set it up this way because this is probably for those who aren't in the Missouri Synod, probably the way they're exposed to it the first time. Someone's visiting mm, a community. Mm, that's a good way to start. Yeah. They walk into one of your congregations and uh, more or less are in some way, shape, or form asked to not participate in communion without being examined by the pastor. Right. That's kind of the setup. So explain the Missouri Synod's perspective on closed communion and on withholding it from uh, you know what most of evangelical Christianity would consider a brother or sister in Christ. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, this is kind of the, the rubber that hits the road. So whenever somebody looks at this, I would encourage them to look at some... Um, very good documents based on this. One is our, we call it a, a report of the Commission of Theology and, Theo, Theology and Church Relations of the LCMS called Admissions to the Lord's Supper, and that came out in the late 90s. A very good document for that. Um, Dr. Jeff Gibbs has written an article called The Exegetical Case for Closed Communion, which is, handles it very well, because this is a very, um, it can be a very complex thing. It can be a very difficult thing. Um, a few things that make it even harder is we live in a very individualistic society. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's about me, me and Jesus, you know. Yeah. And secondly, that you have a very transient world, you know, 150 years ago, the chances of a Norwegian walking into a Missouri Senate church <laughs> was just not, not going to happen, yeah, you know. Language um, barrier. Yeah, you wouldn't understand, yeah. They, he or she would not understand any of it, so you didn't have to worry about it as much. Um, and so those are good things to look at. Greg Lock, Greg, Dr. Lockwood, who's actually Australian, wrote a commentary, and he writes it very well as well. And so to look at it in three things, and we separate into three things that you always have to think about. Number one is the worthiness of the individual. So is this person worthy? Not in the sense of are they a better Christian than others, but mm-hmm. do they believe in the right things to receive this? That's number one. Number two is the role of the pastor. Is this a pastor's role? Is it a congregational role? Is it an individual role? And so what is the pastor's role in this? And finally, what is the community and how do we see the actual act of going forward to receiving communion and what's happening? So I'll start. If I can just go down those yeah. three yeah. things. Yeah, go All for right. it. This is why go you're here. So um, worthiness of the individual, and that goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, mm-hmm. where Paul's very explicit about um, – uh, well, the whole book, I mean, it's just a, you know, it's, it's definitely not the church you want to go to for your first call. Am I right? I mean, yeah. divisions on everything. <laughs> yep. You know, everything is divided. They're separated by this. Or rich people are getting communion first and not leaving enough, mm-hmm. enough for the poor people. And a everyone's... A panky going on. Right. A lot, of, a lot of fun stuff going on. Worship order, the whole thing. And so he explicitly talks about... Um, that a person must examine themselves before they take communion um, and that they must discern the body. Mm-hmm. And how do we see that? How do we look at that? Mm-hmm. So we as, as Missouri Standard Lutherans have always um, looked at that as saying that is that person discerning the body and blood? This is actually the body and blood you're receiving. And if they are not examining themselves to that point, we have a concern because it says that it would bring judgment upon their head. Mm-hmm. So we feel like that we need to make sure that that person is um, maybe worthiness isn't the right word. Are they um, prepared? Prepared. I'll say that we mm-hmm. use that language too. Yeah, are they prepared to receive it? So that's the first part. Now, mm-hmm. what I would probably say is that 
Um, if you were to put people in the corner in the AFLC, they're concerned about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say that that's a major concern that, that you have as well. Yeah, and we know that the that the only thing that makes us worthy is Jesus and the, the righteousness of Christ that we are clothed in. But mm-hmm. we also have to walk in that, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Right, so it's, right. And, yeah. and right. the most common, now we can't speak for every AFLC congregation because mm-hmm. of the freedom we have in <laughs> everything, <laughs> but the most common order of worship service that, AFLC uses, there's an exhortation to examination mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is encouraged in the order of the service. And so if if a congregation hasn't stripped it all away and rebuilt it on its own, mm-hmm. that's part of what we would expect is, you know, every Sunday I make an appeal that you need to examine yourself and that's how yeah. you are prepared because it's only in the examination that we realize that we need to be saved from our sin and that we need to be forgiven for our sin. Right, right, absolutely. And see, this is where I've heard a number of talks on this and Dr. Joel Liambauer, who's the head of our CTCR right now, talked about how at the end of the day, we all have that concern, mm-hmm. you know, because there, there's there's a variety of practices in the Missouri Synod in this realm. And, and it really kind of brought it back to that... Um, Distinction of where we are, where we are united, he would argue, and and the AFLC too, and the, one of the big things we look at that is so okay, so how do we determine that worthiness or that preparedness, and that's where we, as a very high view of of the office of the ministry, according to uh, what we would argue in Acts twenty, um, as as Paul tells Timothy in First Timothy, um, chapter three, talks about that uh, uh, divine institution of the ministry, and for that we see it as an, a, care, a caretaker of souls. And so, how do we? How? What is one of the biggest ways that we? care for souls? Well, we give Holy Communion to the to the ones who need forgiveness. And so we've taken on that, that Zelzorga understanding um, to say, who, who makes that decision? Well, the pastor does. And and that can be very tricky. Now, once again, as we look at this, this is, this is not a clear-cut understanding of saying, all right, problem solved. Um, mm-hmm. The AFLC guy comes and mm-hmm. uh, um, we just say, no, absolutely every time, okay? And that every single Missouri Synod Church says, absolutely not, you're not worthy, and so forth. So it's, it's, we're, we're there worthy. is a lot of times where you wonder, how, how does this all play out? But we do want to put that back on the pastor. And this has been a, a focus for us in the Synod the last four or five years because at the last convention, they wrote up different ideas of how to write a communion statement, and the communion statement, um, a lot of times, in a number of churches, just said, "You believe in the body and blood, you're in." You know, and we've been encouraged to say, uh, in particular, mine, where it says, "If you have not communed here before, and to go through a whole thing, which is what we believe, um, if you're not communed here before, please speak to the pastor, and he's happy to speak with you about about that." So it doesn't say you're absolutely out, but it does point that back to. The Just pastor brings accountability and some oversight is what it right, brings. Yeah. Right, right. So, is there enough time before a service to connect, <laughs> yeah. connect with the pastor? Yeah, this or? is where it gets even worse. Yeah. You know, um, like what if that, you're you're sitting in the the pew and you're reading yep. through and yeah, absolutely. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Mm-hmm. Where I try to make myself available in that mm-hmm. way. Um, and it doesn't always work real well. I mean, you have a church mm-hmm. uh, congregations my buddies are at. I mean, you have 800 people on yeah. Sunday. I mean, my goodness, it would, it would take mm-hmm. forever. And so that's where the practice is something that's vastly different. Mm-hmm. And we've really, I've enjoyed how the Senate has, has said, let's put this back in the pastor and let's figure this out at each congregation. What does that look like? Does it look like you encourage everybody, hey, give me a call that week if you know you're visiting? Is it right before service? I've heard different ways of doing it. And you might get a whole bunch of different ideas of how that's done. So that that is a huge mm-hmm. 
crazy thing that we do have to deal with. So yeah. what I'm hearing is that you 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 don't ban other other people from other denominations necessarily. You just want to check in with them and exercise oversight with them. Right, kind of. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> um, not not explicitly that that yeah. easy. I sometimes in my heart I wish it was that easy. Yeah, okay. How about that? Um, so that's the role of the pastor. So the role of pastor, we want to put on him, as 1 Corinthians 4 says, stewards of the mystery. So we're stewards of this gift to give out. Then the final one, and Dr. Gibbs says this very well, is the idea of when 1 Corinthians 11 is speaking, it's not he's not addressing the reality of, you know, the Methodists from from Ephesus coming mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's addressing that congregation um, at that time in that place and the internal divisions that are there. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're looking at a lot of times goes back to 1 Corinthians 10, where it talks about we are one body and one loaf. Um, we'll look at Romans 16, which mm-hmm. talks about do not associate with the basically the ungodly. Or uh, John 17, um, Jesus says, uh, let them be one as we are one. So we want to focus on that unity. And what's actually happening when you take communion? Now, once again, this is in- incredibly complex. But for us and how we look at it is when you go for communion, you're not only saying I am uh, believing in the right stuff, but I am believing what this church is believing. Mm-hmm. Um, that understanding of we want the pastor to be care of it, but also to show the person that what you are confessing when you do take communion. And I had a, a situation where um, one of my young people um, was was talking to a priest and he was just talking about going to his church and then the priest said, well, you, you know, you can't take communion here though. And he was like, what? What's going on? And then he calls me and says, what's happening here? And I used it um, and this is this is maybe never been done here before, but I, I compared it to Lady Gaga, right? <laughs> and uh, and it did went not so, see uh, that coming. Yeah, I didn't see that coming, <laughs> did you? But I remember when I moved here, and Tom Emmer was running for governor, uh, I yeah. believe, yep, yep. and in, and Target had supported part of his campaign, and Lady Gaga made a, a point. She said, "I am not selling my my CDs or having any music that goes through Target because I do not agree with that." And it was kind of a very, I was like, wow, you know, that's a pretty strong statement to be done. And I mean, we don't want to get into that whole conversation on how that looks. But that understanding. became a very different podcast. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. And I'm not trying to make it a one-to-one. Don't quote me as that. But I'm just saying that there's times you make a distinction to say, I am one with this. And for her, she said, I'm not one with Target, therefore I want out. And for us, when we confess and we go forward to the body and blood of Christ and say, I'm with these people. That's one way. The second thing too is, and I see this um, in, in in my in my congregation as well, is that when you go for communion, it's not just individual cups. I'm taking it. Stay away from me, person next to me. Um, but there is a unity that you have with the people mm-hmm. that surrounding yeah. you, Absolutely. and that goes beyond just you know I believe in the same thing, but also I'm going to be there for you. And mm-hmm. one of the the few beautiful things that I've seen in my ministry in Sartell is there's one particular gal, she's in her 90s, and she cannot go for, for communion unless someone holds her hand the whole way up. Mm-hmm. But she's committed to going and very That's committed great. to going. Yeah. But then there's always a lady that will grab her hand and carry her all the way. And so there they are extending their hand out to mm-hmm. receive. And they're saying, we are together. Mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect way of saying, it's, it's you know, expressed in, it. you know, the word, even the word communion. Right. You know, yeah. Union is together. Communion. Yep. Yeah. Right. I think where we're at here, and you breaking it into those three individual parts is incredibly helpful to think mm-hmm. about it that way because it's it's difficult to see from the outside looking in. It's probably even more difficult to see from a, a fiercely independent group 
where we don't have prescribed fellowship right. in the AFLC. It's just all voluntary unity. You know, and I think we all in American Christianity, regardless of denomination, need to do a better job of communicating the difference between a personal faith and a private faith. Uh, sure. um, you know, we have personal faith. It's individual to us, but it is not unique to us. It doesn't only matter what we're doing. Like you said, you're, you're not trying to not brush shoulders with the people kneeling at the altar next to you. I, I think I would say, and you always hesitate to speak corporately for an independent group like the AFLC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of those three issues, the main difference in our practice is the central one, the role of the pastor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. say... Yeah that most of the AFLC churches would nod their head in agreement with the necessity of examination. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we would, uh, most but not all, would probably nod their heads with the need for unity. A mm-hmm. common confession needs to matter because mm-hmm. the distinction between us and the Baptists or us and the Methodists or us and the Moravians or whoever, uh, those distinctions and beliefs need to matter. It's not as like we're going to say, ah, ha, ha, never mind, it doesn't matter. We would nod to both of those. I think where the difference lies is the role of the pastor. Mm-hmm. Now, in my congregation, and I think probably in Brett and Brian's too, and, and maybe a majority of AFLC, the, the decision to come up to communion is left to personal conscience mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. the review of the pastor. That's and so right. yeah. what, what we do is before communion, I direct everybody in the, the sanctuary to a statement in our bulletin that says, this is what we believe. If you come forward you are agreeing mm-hmm. with us about this statement, yep. which yep. sounds to me exactly what you're trying to do, but you've made that a part of pastoral care right. rather than personal conscience. And, right. and so if we're going to you know, highlight the differences, that's where it's at from right. my perspective. It's not a matter of we think something different entirely about the sacrament or the nature of the sacrament. It's just how it's administered. Absolutely. Yeah, and one of the things, too, that going back to one of the questions was the understanding of, so you're saying that a lot of different denominations will become as long as they talk to the pastor first. And if you were to look at our doctrinal statements, it would, would have a commitment to saying, you know, Missouri Synod members. Mm-hmm. And and that's really tricky with a lack of denominational loyalty nowadays and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so there is very clearly in our understanding of pastoral discretion that comes in. So does that happen? Oh, absolutely it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a common practice? I wouldn't necessarily say it's a common practice, but it depends on each congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more or less, our doctrinal statements would say, we want common confession, and how do you find that confession of faith? By what denomination you're in. What's the, you know? It's the easiest, most baseline way absolutely. to do it. it I, I think, again, especially American Lutherans in this case, need to do a better job of discussing with the members of our congregations what church membership is all about. Absolutely. I know mm-hmm. uh, there are congregations in the AFLC where membership is just virtual, not entity. Right. You come to our church, that's fine. And, and there's something to identifying with the group of people officially. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in a in a more committed capacity, and this is the church I choose to attend until I choose not to attend it. Right, which is kind right. of more along the lines of what we see in American Christianity across denominations. Mm-hmm. You have that consumeristic aspect of I'll go here until I find a better place or until something I don't like happens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so that I mean, it is a, is a very messy um, type of. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we usually, I usually say, is close communion. You say close, it, it just becomes, you know, you're trying to play on words. It's yeah, close communion right. because yeah. almost all churches I know of have some form 
of close communion. Because if someone, for example, there are people come to me and say, well, you better give me a communion today. And I'm like, well, the issue right now is not that you are a different denomination or I don't know, but you are not coming humbly to the altar yeah, of the Lord. It's an attitude you know? issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have that or uh, like one of the things I found too with young people, and it's a blessing of young people, is that you say, when you come take communion, then you're saying you believe what we believe. And young people are willing to say, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, and that's a that I, I appreciate that. Now yeah, sometimes they're real wacky yeah. and other things, but it is <laughs> yeah. it is you know this is Lady Gaga talk once again. Um, but it is it is very messy and it's very complicated. Um, but it is something I we would say that that's where our line is, and let's go from that line as opposed to having more of an open line to try to rein it in. Okay. Is how we would talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. All right. Well, I thought I'd read what we were talking about. So, 1 Corinthians. <laughs> Why not? Chapter 11, going to begin in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on iTunes. Please join us next week as we continue our discussion about the Lord's Supper. God bless you and have a great week.